We're doing a year looking at 12 different values because I believe that God has called us to build, um, to build like a greenhouse. And if you know like a greenhouse, if you go to Holland and you go in the winter, they can still grow tulips all year round because they've created a, an environment in which good things can grow and uh, where they can control the temperature, the moisture, and they look after the plants. And this artificial environment causes things to grow. I do believe that God is looking for us to create a greenhouse where the good things of the kingdom can grow. And, and these 12 values that we're looking at over this year are really about 12 core values where, where essentially we can encounter him, be changed by him in this environment... And then go out into the world with a fire in our hearts Amen. that can change the world around us. And so our vision statement really is gather for an encounter, go for the kingdom, go for the rule of God. And, uh, and today we're looking at a, at a topic which really isn't really a topic, it is the foundation. Okay, The foundation of what it is to be a Christian, the foundation of what it is to be those who are empowered to bring the kingdom. It's the foundational truth that lights a fire in our heart that we can take into the world. And it's this, valuing the presence. It's what we're going to be looking at over April, but really it is the calling to be the very foundation of all of our lives, that we're called to value the presence of the person of God, the Holy Spirit. And... I want you to imagine, I said to Rochelle the other day, we just, I sometimes come up with random questions that I like to ask. If there was a knock on the door and the Queen was at the door, would, can she come and stay? I just, just a ra- could she come and stay? And the other question I had is, would you cook anything special? <laughs> I like, I like to be prepared, she just don't, you, we live in London, don't we? You never know when she might want to drop in to one of the, the people in her town and have some time with us. And uh, it got me thinking that we'd probably give her our room and it's true that we would live very aware that she was there. Um, we would, in one sense, art, act a little artificial <laughs> and... Uh, we might even say she could keep the corgis in the house and uh, she could watch what she wanted to watch on TV. We don't watch EastEnders, but if the Queen wanted to watch EastEnders, she's very welcome to watch EastEnders. We would host her and we would be very focused on hosting her very, very well. And my mind then went on to another level of fantasy. Imagine if she said, do you know what? Do you know what? I felt so welcome with you these last weeks that I'd like to make my home with you. <laughs> That's the very best Queen impression I can do. <laughs> you, you know that Britain's Got Talent is... I'm getting closer. Is that or the voice or master chef? I'm not sure, but I'm, I'm going on one of them. <laughs> but she, she might say, do you know, I felt so comfortable here. I felt so welcome. I want to stay. And I'd like to elevate you and I'd like to inject some of my resources, my meagre resources into your lives. And, and 
live with you. I know that's a fantasy. Jesus said that I'm going to go to the Father and I'm going to send the friend. And in John 14, he says, I'm not going to leave you on your own. I'm going to come to you. And it's going to be better that I go because the one who comes alongside is coming. And that's God. (laughs) Uh, uh, The Queen is elevated and amazing as she is, is at the end of the day a mortal woman who happened to be born in a particular family and lived with a certain privilege and influence. But at the end of the day, she's very much human. We're talking about hosting God. I want us to sink that in. When we're saying, light a fire in me, when we say, I surrender all, we're really saying, Holy Spirit, I really want to host you really really well so it's not a topic but the very foundation that we're called to live by Uh, I want us to know that when Jesus says it's better he was really saying that right now the son of God is only in one place at one time and he can only be talking to John He can't necessarily be talking to Peter at the same time, but he's saying there's coming a time when the promise of the Father is coming so that the attention of God will not be divided, but it will be like having me with you, in you, all the time. And that's why Jesus says it's better. So I want us to talk briefly just about hosting God. And if you want to turn your Bibles, there's a... There's a chapter in Galatians, verse 16, that that really talks about two ways of walking. And Paul describes there's a walking according to the spirit, and there's a walking according to the flesh. And as I read it, I, I want you to kind of insert in your mind that there's two ways of living. There's a way of hosting God really, really well, and there's a way of hosting God where he's ignored completely. And so Paul says, so I say, in verse 16 of chapter 5, so I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other. So that that you are not to do what ever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Um, Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. I I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And against such things, there is no law. I think some of us, if you've been on the road at all for very long, have asked the question, on one side, how do I overcome X, Y, and Z? And, And maybe you look at that list and think, 
yeah, that's, uh, this is something I struggle with there. How do I overcome that? Um, how do I overcome envy? How do I overcome jealousy? How do I overcome fits of rage? How do I overcome those things? And sometimes we ask that question, how do I overcome it? So Christianity is the new birth, new nature, new heart, new power. And sometimes we're frustrated, we think, how do I overcome those? Because I feel like I'm still a slave. And then the other end of the spectrum is, we know that Jesus said when the Holy Spirit comes, in Acts 1.8, you'll be my witnesses. You'll be given power, and you'll be my witnesses here in Jerusalem, in Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the world. And we, on one hand, can be asking questions like, how do I overcome a sense of powerlessness over that area of my life that I feel imprisoned by? And another spectrum is, how do I become the sort of person who's got a fire in me because I believe the Bible that says I'm the head, not the tail, that I'm to be one who is a bringer of joy where I go and hope and peace, that I'm to have influence where I go in the world, whether it's, whether it's through what I say or how I act, I want to be an overcomer. And uh, we can, have, has anybody ever, ever asked those questions? Yeah? yeah? It's a question I've been, I've been asking for years and years, and I've stumbled upon this little book by John Wimber, who unpacks a verse that, that impacted me profoundly in April 2007. I'd just been given an absolutely outstanding prophetic word promise from God about the, a river of the Holy Spirit, about uh, the miraculous, about signs and wonders, and... I, I really mixed it with faith, and I just Russia uh, and I both were so impacted by what we heard. I think literally we felt like we'd been in the room with Jesus, and I don't think could sleep properly for three months. And it was an interesting moment because sometimes when the Holy Spirit touches you, um, there's sometimes a visible, you know, sometimes there's a manifestation of the Spirit that affects you physically. There was nothing; it was like a burning in your heart that. You'd been with Jesus, and he'd spoken something about your calling. And then I made the fatal mistake, is I believed that I could fulfil the prophetic promise through my own effort. And so I said to God, I've heard your voice, now I'm going to be really, really, absolutely, seriously going for it. I'm going to work my socks off, because what he said, I know I heard from you, and it's going to happen. And um, very quickly, you get exhausted, because God has raised... The bar and said, I want your life to be to go for the impossible. And how many of you know that the impossible is the impossible because it's impossible? <laughs> so it really doesn't matter how much you work, you can't do the impossible. But I thought you could do the impossible by working really hard. I thought it I thought the impossible was attainable through personal discipline. Okay, so I'm sure you're not as dumb as that conclusion that I came to. But then I read John Wimber, who, if you know, had a healing ministry in the 1970s, started the Vineyard Movement, and he said something that for the first time in my life I'd heard someone say, write something down the way I felt. And he said this, We think that the key to maturity and power is to be good. We then focus on our behaviour, but our behaviour never meets the standards of Christ's righteousness. Wimber says, I did this for years. By focusing on my behaviour, I was in constant turmoil. 
because my behaviour was never good enough. Rarely meeting God's standards, or rarely meeting God's or my own standards of righteousness. I believed in Christ. I believed in Christ because I was not good enough. We all agree that we come to Jesus because we recognise we can't get a righteousness of our own. Okay, we come to Him through the cross because we can't do it. So we come to Him and believe Him. I first believed in Christ because I, I was not good enough. Yet, after becoming a Christian, I still struggled in my own strength with not being good enough. So, I was always under conviction, always struggling with guilt. Then one day, 22 years ago, I fell to my knees and I asked God to help me. I sensed him respond, since you can do nothing without me... How much help do you want? Then he said, the issue is not being good, it is being God's. Just come to me and I'll provide goodness (coughs) for you. I did not fully understand his words. What did he mean, I'll provide goodness for you? I was confused. And so for the next five years, I tried to be good in my own strength. I soon became more and more despondent. Finally, I began to ask God about what I sensed he had told me earlier concerning his goodness. He explained that he had good works prepared for me, but they were his works and I couldn't do them for him. He told me that I needed to begin to listen to his voice rather than try to distill the Christian life down to a set of rules and principles. I began to listen more during my times of prayer and Bible study and more more consciously talked with him throughout the normal activities of the day. Then something interesting began to happen. He put new desires and attitudes in me. His spirit began to strengthen me to do righteous acts I previously had no desire for. I began to sense his voice more often throughout the day and good works were multiplied in my life. Today, I no longer try to be good. Instead, I'm only concerned with doing God's bidding when he commands, I do. So I read that in 2007 and actually myself went around another five years trying to be good. (laughs) So I want to talk very briefly about actually how do we unpack that and live that. Because that is the key. Okay, what we read in Galatians, hosting the spirit is the key. To both overcoming crippling things that we just can't shake off and the key to being empowered to change the world around us. So the Holy Spirit comes to make his home in our heart. He comes to dwell with us. And to walk by the Spirit, to host him well, is to live your life mindful of the ever-present friend. And that's really the overwhelming key in those verses. That it's not a relationship 
with a set of, of rules and do's and do nots. It's a relationship with a real friend who has really come alongside you. To host God well is to deliberately and consciously decide I'm limiting my options to make sure that God is really, really comfortable with me. It's a decision to say, I am limiting how I speak, I'm limiting what I do, I'm limiting what I look at, I'm limiting where I go, I'm limiting what I spend my money on, I'm changing the conversations I'm willing to participate in, because I'm conscious that the friend has come alongside. The promise of John 14, 16, I'll send another counsellor. It's, it's developing a renewed mind that is aware that wherever I go, wherever I'm in, God is next to me. That I'm to live aware of him. And one of the, I just want to unpack one of the things that it says here, and it says the acts of the flesh are obvious. One of them, it says there is idolatry. Idolatry, another way of saying that, is excessive devotion to something other than God. So, imagine you're in, you're in your house and the Holy Spirit's with you because Jesus said, it, I'll never leave you, I'll never forsake you, I'm with you all the time. And the Holy Spirit's there and God is with you and he wants to be made much of because he's God. He wants you to enjoy him and he's got things to talk to you about. And then Paul says, if you want to host him really, really well, don't be excessively devoted to something else other than him. In other words, it's not saying, well, Christians can't do a job. It's not saying Christians can't raise their family. It's not saying Christians can't be busy. It's saying, don't have something else in your life that's your saviour. In other words, don't say Jesus is your saviour, but that what you really believe is your job is your saviour. And so you've got Holy Spirit is in your house, and he, he, he loves you, he loves spending time with you, he wants to be with you, he's got things he wants to talk to you about. But actually what he finds in your house is, what he finds in our life maybe, is that we're excessively devoted to something else other than him. So he's over here and we totally ignore him. And it might go like this, what Tim was talking about last week, I'm nothing if I don't get that promotion. I'm a failure if I don't get that promotion. I need that promotion. If I don't feel I've got that job, this promotion, that finance, this whatever, then I'm nothing. This thing is going to save me. If my kids don't grow up like this, then I'm, a, then I'm a failure. And it can be a whole host of different things. It can be excessively devoted to money. It can be excessively devoted to this or that job. It can be excessively devoted to the outcome in something else. And then sometimes what we do is Holy Spirit's over here in our house and we turn to him and then we ask him to fund our excessive devotion. Oh God, I need you to pour out some of your resources over here because what I really love is here. 
What, what I absolutely love is this. And what I want you to do, Holy Spirit, is I want you to get me that job because that's what's going to save me. That's what's going to make me. Please pour out your resources here. And then he's so good, he often does it. And then we go back to loving that and worshipping that and ignore him. And so back to analogy, the illustration of the queen, it would be like the queen being in your house and you never acknowledged her, never recognised that she was there, never recognised there was something amazing with what's going on around you at the moment and lived totally ignoring her, totally ignoring hosting her well. And you know guys from cultures all around the world, you know... Coasting people is an art, isn't it? You know, you do it so well that people come in and, you know, it might be that you, you welcome them and you, you, you show them to their seat, you show them to the table, you describe the menu to them, um, you've made great food for them, you want them to feel at home and at welcome and there's special food and a special drink and a special conversation and, and maybe some of you might be dressing in a certain way because it's a special occasion. There's no way the person would come in and you would just ignore them and, and just, just open the door and just turn around and go back into your normal life. I hope that makes sense. I think that's what excessive devotion is. And then whenever the thing that we love more than God gets threatened, that's often where the outbursts of anger, that's often where the resentment, that's often where the rivalry comes in. So it's to host God well, it's to live mindful that the paraclete, the friend, has come alongside you and is with you wherever you are. (coughs) I want to say as well that the life of hunger for God begins with understanding that it's all absolutely impossible. That... To create a hunger in our hearts, God has said to us both individually and corporately, I want you to go for the impossible. How many of you know that you cannot do the fruit of the Spirit by effort? You can't make love and joy and peace and forbearance and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control get produced without something supernatural. So to live aware of him, who's with you all the time, begins by understanding that what he's assigned to us to be, do and become, is absolutely impossible. He wants the fruit of the very personality of God to so grow in our hearts that our very attitudes are loving and joyful and peaceful and forbearing and kind and good and faithful and gentle and with self-control. That he wants us to be so focused on him, and so aware of him, that what we begin to bear is impossible fruit. It's the same in terms of local church. He, he wants us to bless SCA team. He, he wants us to be moved by Poverty, as we heard Ian say in in that that verse he read out. He wants us to be moved by injustice. He wants us to be touched by the reality of 
an area where people are looking to addiction and so many other things to find a saviour. He wants us to be moved with compassion that when we see the sick, we want to see them healed and made right. He wants us to be moved by a desire that what's in heaven comes to the earth and comes to families. He wants us to be touched by that when he sees the brokenness in a household and he sees the, the destiny of where maybe teenagers are going or where this young family is going, he wants us to be moved because heaven wants to come and totally transform the legacy and the destiny of families. He's moved by what goes on in the secret that we maybe not see. And it's all impossible. That's why I love what we're, we're learning to step out into in terms of treasure hunting. Because it, this idea that you go out with words of knowledge and words of wisdom looking for God's treasure to bless them and to prophesy over them and to demonstrate that God is good is, is powerful. So we do that once a month. And he wants us to know that not only can we not produce goodness ourselves, and not only can we not change ourselves, that we can't change a whole community without him. Hunger starts with understanding that it's all completely impossible. Since it's impossible, how much help do you need? Was in that quote. Since you can't produce goodness for yourself... Let me produce goodness for you. Since the things that I've set before you are not things I want you to do for me, but things I want to do in and through you. Since you can do nothing, how much help do you need? When you know you can do nothing, it starts to make you hungry for the very one who can empower you. When we believe we can do it, when we believe that really all Christianity is is a list of do's and don'ts, a list that we make for ourselves, then we feel we can do it. Yeah, I can do that. I can choose not to watch that. I can choose not to do that. I can choose not to do that. Have you ever noticed that each person's list is normally a list that they know they can do? It's not a list that they can't do. Moses says in Exodus 33 and 15, he says this to God, if you don't go with me, it's not worth going. If you don't go with me, it's not worth going. I want, us to, I want us to be those kind of people with that kind of hunger. God, if you don't go with me in today, if I'm not consciously aware of you today, God, honestly, it's not really worth going. Because the only reason I'm distinct, the only reason that people will look at me and know that I'm different, it's because of, of you. It's because of who you are. I don't want to go into, the, to, into today without you. It's just not worth doing if you're not with me. I want to finish just by saying what I felt God wanted to say to us, really. In terms of application. And I feel this is a promise from God. If, if you'll stop, if you'll stop long enough to think about me, 
create time and space to look for me, if you'll retrain to slow down, you'll experience me every day. I really just feel that's a promise from God. If we would be a people who, we know how to do busy, we know how to rush, we know how to work, we know how to get things done, If we'll stop long enough to think about him, if we'll create some time and space to look for him, if we'll retrain and slow down, we'll experience him every day. And I believe what will happen as we make much of him, as we love him, what he does is he just rubs off on us. And the fruit of the Spirit of love and joy and peace and forbearance and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control, against such things there is no law, is really God, God rubbing off on us. God wants you and me to hang out with him and get to know him so he rubs off on us. We all know sure, people in our lives and friends at school and stuff, they rubbed off on us and it wasn't always the most positive thing. God, Holy Spirit, is amazing fun. He, as God, has amazing wisdom. He, as one who knows everything instantly, has some really good answers. He has solutions. He has ideas, he has thoughts, and he wants us to retrain and be with him. He says in Amos 3.7, I share my secrets with my prophets. There's not anything I do without sharing my secrets. He wants to share his secrets with you. I call you friends, because I'm sharing my business with you. I think that he wants us to walk along and cultivate in our mind an awareness that he's right alongside. That the one who makes the impossible possible is so close that all he would have to do is whisper in our ear something and something could happen. I think he wants us to just get to know him so that we're at work and there's a problem and we just hear him say, I'm really good at that. I'm really good at that. I've got an idea about that. I know how that could be fixed. Heard a story about a guy who's a mechanic and uh, he had this car that he was working on. He just could not find the fault anywhere and read all the manuals and did everything. And he just said to the Holy Spirit, do you know what's wrong with the car? And the Holy Spirit said, I don't even know what it is. It's a technical thing. He says, it's that. And he thought... This car doesn't even have that. And he looked underneath it and covered under all the oil was that. <laughs> that part that needed to be replaced. And so eventually he realised, if you ask Holy Spirit at the beginning of every single mechanical thing, he has the idea of everything. And so, for some reason he decided, I'll do 40 minutes of work myself, and then if I'm still stumped, I'll ask Holy Spirit at the end. <laughs> and then he realised, actually, why don't you ask him at the beginning? <laughs> But the point is, 
Christianity is an invitation to have a relationship, a friendship with God. What got lost in Genesis 3 through sin was relationship. And that God's heart was always to restore us to relationship. That's what the cross is all about. To deal with all the things we've ever done wrong, all our shame, all our guilt, all the things we wish we hadn't said and said, wish we had done and didn't do, wish we hadn't said and we said it. He takes the punishment for all of that and pays the debt so that we can be completely spotless without accusation and blemish so that we can be friends with God. Because he's holy and other than us, but through the cross we become holy so that we can become a host of God. I want to say, don't underestimate doing simple things with Holy Spirit, but doing them regularly. There's something powerful, even if it is simply this, this is all you've got time for. You wake up in the morning and say, Holy Spirit, I recognise that today it's impossible without you. I'm turning my affection to you right now. I'm welcoming you into everything that I do today. I'm welcoming you into every conversation and every activity I have today. I want to live conscious of you today. Amen. And you just do that. Or you grab the Bible and say, Holy Spirit, while we're having a coffee, I'm going to be reading some verses. Can you bring this alive? I want this book that you inspired. I want it to, I want it, I want it to come alive. I want it to come alive as I'm with you. Speak to my heart today. Turn your affection. When you get stumped about anything, quickly turn your affection. Say, Holy Spirit, if you've got any ideas, what would you do? <coughs> oh, you would do that. Let's try that. Don't underestimate doing simple things regularly. Let me just say a final promise about God's say. If you, in your heart, will determine to eat well for six months... God is saying, I'll give you three years worth of spiritual growth. If you would say today, I choose to host you well, Holy Spirit. I choose to make much of you. I I, I don't want to be excessively devoted to anything other than you. I want to get my life, my identity and my worth from you. I don't want to have other saviours other than you. I want to walk with you. I want to open the Bible with you. I want to talk with you. I want to pray and be with you regularly. I want to worship and sing to you. I want to acknowledge that you're with me. I don't want to live only being aware of your presence on a moment on a Sunday and then I go into the rush and the hubbub of life. I want to go with you because I know you want to go with me. I want to make much of you. I want to walk with you. I want to host you really, really well. As you... Each day make that decision because grace is opposed to trying to earn something. Grace is not opposed to making an effort. Grace is not opposed to disciplines and structure. Grace is opposed to the idea that anything I do wins me his approval. Grace is the, is the thing that brings us into approval and righteousness. And then when we're in friendship, it's ours to cultivate. Can I invite us to stand? Um, Thank <laughs> you.